Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. Beth Emanuel is committed to proclaiming the vital gospel message of the coming kingdom of heaven. If you share our passion for this message, please support this teaching ministry and Messianic community with your prayers and financial contributions. To learn how, click the Donate tab at BethEmmanuel.org. Today is Shabbat Shirah, the Sabbath of the Song at the Sea, when we read the story of how Israel left Egypt, but Pharaoh pursued them and trapped them at the Red Sea. Here's a parable. To what can it be compared? It can be compared to a beautiful princess who lived in a hidden kingdom. One day, she was captured by an evil knight who was seeking the way to her hidden kingdom to destroy it. The evil knight imprisoned the princess in his castle and demanded, Show me the way to your father's kingdom. She bravely refused to do so. Some heroes of the kingdom heard about this. Disguising themselves as servants of the evil knight, they stole into his castle and rescued the princess. But this was all part of the evil knight's plan. He let the princess go. But then he rode out with all his knights in pursuit, because he knew that the escaping princess would surely lead his army to the hidden kingdom. So it happened, and the people of the kingdom saw the evil knight and his army entering the hidden land. The heroes of the realm went out to meet the knight on the field of battle, but they were all defeated, except for one brave lad. Trusting in God alone, he took only his sling and stood up against the evil knight. Miraculously, The sling stone struck the evil knight in the temple and slew him on the field of battle. When the evil knight's servants saw that their leader had been slain, they fled discomfited before the heroes of the kingdom. The people of the kingdom rejoiced, and the princess awarded the heroes much honor with medals of gold hung about their necks. What is the meaning of the parable? That's the plot to Star Wars. Maybe you never realized it before, but Star Wars is a story about salvation. In fact, every great action movie is a story about salvation. There's a baddie, there's a hero, the baddie captures or defeats the hero, looks like the baddie is about to win, at the last minute the baddie suffers an unexpected reversal, the hero defeats him, and the good guys win. That's what makes a good Hollywood blockbuster. That's also the story of Israel at the Red Sea. And it's the story of salvation. For a long time now, I've been threatening to teach about salvation, This is a good time to get started. Next time you watch a Star Wars episode, say to yourself, Behold, I am ready and prepared to hear the story of salvation again. Because that's what you're doing. When the children of Israel stood at the edge of the Red Sea, trapped between an onrushing army and the water, Moses said, Stand still. Today you will see the salvation of the Lord. The Yeshua Tashem. What is the salvation of the Lord? In this case, it's the miraculous parting of the Red Sea, the escape from Pharaoh's army, and the destruction of Pharaoh's army, the defeat of Israel's enemy. 
On that day, all Israel was saved. The people celebrated their salvation with the song at the sea, Miriam's tambourine, and dance. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Exodus 15, 1 and 2. In the days of Deborah the prophetess, the salvation of the Lord was the defeat of Sisera's army in the valley of Armageddon, and the death of Sisera when Yale drove the tent peg through his head. On that day, all Israel was saved. The people celebrated their salvation with the song of Deborah. In the days of King David, the salvation of the Lord was the defeat of the Philistine army and the rescue of King David from the spear of the giant Ishbi Benov. On that day, Israel was saved, and the king was saved, and David celebrated his salvation by composing Psalm 18. The prophets say that, in the future, the Lord will gather Israel from the nations, defeat their enemies, subdue the nations, and on that day, Israel will be saved. Then, the people will rejoice with a song called the New Song. For example, in the great messianic prophecy of Isaiah 11, which predicts the coming of the branch of David on whom the Spirit of the Lord will rest, to whom the nations will resort, the salvation of the Lord culminates with God bringing his people back from exile. He makes a highway from Assyria, and he splits the Red Sea again. They cross the water in sandals. Then they sing a new song to celebrate the great salvation. Isaiah provides the text for two psalms of thanksgiving. Just as Israel sang a song of praise after crossing the Red Sea, they will sing again after the final redemption when God gathers the exiles and brings them across the Red Sea and the Euphrates. Songs of praise will wash away the long years of Israel's suffering in exile. The consolation of the redemption will replace the sting of the Lord's displeasure with his people. Then Israel will say, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Isaiah 12, 2. The words of the song borrow directly from the song at the sea. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Exodus 15, 1 and 2. The people will sing, Therefore, you will draw water from the springs of salvation. Isaiah 12, 3. That is, you will drink salvation like water. This is the salvation of the final redemption. This is what the prophets anticipated with the coming of the Messiah. So if I was to ask the prophets, what is salvation like? They would tell me about the ingathering of Israel from the nations, the restoration of the kingdom of David in the land of Israel, and the defeat of Israel's enemies. In all of these situations, the biblical concept of salvation is pretty clear. Rescue from the hand of one's enemies and defeat of those enemies. It's a national salvation, a physical salvation that pertains to this world. It has nothing to do with eternal destinies. No mention of heaven or hell or the fate of the soul. 
This is one of the reasons that the conversation between Judaism and Christianity breaks down before it even begins. From the traditional Christian perspective, the salvation of the Lord is understood as being rescue from eternal punishment in hell and access to eternal life in heaven. In most of Messianic Judaism, even though we should know better, we have unquestioningly adopted that model and that understanding of salvation. Jewish evangelism is predicated on the assumption that, like all human beings, Jewish people are consigned to eternity undergoing the torments of hell unless they get saved by acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah. My own religious upbringing inculcated me with that same perspective. In evangelical Christianity, we were completely focused on obtaining salvation and saving other people. That meant saving people from hell so that they could go to heaven when they died. The way to do this was to persuade them to believe in Jesus, namely that he is God and that he died for our sins and rose from the dead for us. That's my own theological upbringing. It was based upon a narrow definition of salvation to which I no longer subscribe. I have a much broader perspective on salvation today. The word salvation, Yeshua, it seems to me, implies an exciting rescue. When Israel crossed the Red Sea and saw Pharaoh and his army drowned, that was a great salvation. When Israel saw the defeat of five Arab armies in 1948, that was a great salvation. And when they turned back their enemies in the Six-Day War of 1967, that was a great salvation. All Israel was saved in that day. Salvation can mean rescue from our enemies, in the form of a national deliverance like that, or on a personal level. Let's define salvation this way. It's when God intervenes to rescue his people. So you can experience all sorts of salvations. Salvation from your enemies. Salvation from oppression. Salvation from economic and financial disaster. Salvation from disease and sickness. Salvation from spiritual darkness. Salvation from depression. Salvation from the devil. Salvation from sin is a real thing. Salvation from the evil inclination who continually entraps us so that we do what we do not want to do. Salvation from addictive behaviors or addictive substances. It comes down to this. Salvation refers to God intervening to rescue when we cannot rescue ourselves. In light of this, it's necessary, whenever we are considering the concept of salvation, it's necessary to specify what we mean. Salvation from what? Let me give you a few examples. In past teachings on this Torah portion, I have used the story of the crossing of the Red Sea to illustrate the concept of salvation from sin, salvation from addiction, salvation from the old life. Salvation from oppression, salvation from the devil, salvation from death, salvation as resurrection, salvation from the false messiah, and the salvation of the final redemption. I use the story to illustrate baptism, immersion, the passage from life to death, salvation from the past, and freedom of the new life. 
The story aptly fits all those applications. All of them are real salvations. When we read about salvation in the New Testament, most of the time, the context is not about salvation from punishment in the afterlife, but rather salvation from the impending end times judgment that comes upon the earth with the arrival of the kingdom. Therefore, the message of the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost was, Save yourselves from this wicked generation. He had in view the fate of the generation that culminated with the Roman war, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, and the exile. When Yeshua and the apostles talk about salvation, they are often speaking about salvation from the imminent birth pangs of the Messiah. Most New Testament readers completely miss that point because they read the New Testament with the wrong question in mind. They come to the text asking, what must I do to be saved from hell? The New Testament is not much interested in talking about hell, or heaven for that matter. This is how it has come to be that most of the church has largely mis misunderstood the gospel message. We misunderstand the words, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, to mean believe in Jesus so we can go to heaven when we die. Look, I'm all for going to heaven when I die. I'm not terribly excited about spending any time at all in Gehenna. So I do look to the merit and virtue of my holy teacher and master, Yeshua, to tip the scales of judgment and spring me from the punishment that I have spent so much of my life earning. I truly believe he is my get-out-of-jail-free card. That type of hope for salvation comes through in the New Testament, but it's not the only type of salvation we are looking for. I'm also all for salvation from sin, salvation from addiction, salvation from the flesh, salvation from the self, salvation from the evil inclination, and salvation from the devil. These are big ideas in the teachings of the apostles who say that when we become followers of Yeshua, it is as if we die with him on the cross and rise with him from the dead. This is what immersion symbolizes, and that's how we enter into his school of disciples. Those are solid New Testament concepts. Salvation from death is a big one. The New Testament is very concerned with proving the premise that there will be a physical bodily resurrection of the righteous in the future to come. Yeshua's resurrection from the dead provides the evidence for that. Very often, when the New Testament speaks of personal salvation, it refers to being made eligible for this future resurrection from the dead, salvation from death. That's what it means to be born again, to be raised from the dead. In his book, Religious Thought of the Hasidim, Paul Philip Levertov introduces another angle on salvation as he describes what he refers to as the Hasidic idea of salvation. The Hasidic concept of salvation starts with the concept of the undying soul, the spirit, that is, the neshama 
a spark of Hashem's being which, in order to grow and develop into an individualized identity, must descend into the world of concealment separated from Hashem and enter into a mortal body in this world where the soul can make choices, experience free will, experience good and evil, learn to love, and find its way back to God. Confined in the human flesh, the soul has the opportunity to obtain a finite perspective and transcend it by denying the self, repenting, and learning to see the concealed God and reveal God in the created order. In this perspective, the salvation of the soul involves the soul completing its mission on earth and ultimately reconnecting with Hashem in this world so it can likewise reconnect in the world of souls, richer for the experience and something more than it was before the adventure in the flesh. In Levertov's book, he points out that this Hasidic concept of salvation pulses through the New Testament and resonates with the words of Yeshua and the teaching of the apostles. Dying to the self, rising to the new life, the message of repentance, the work of atonement, the gift of forgiveness, the revelation of divine love, all of these big concepts in the teaching of Yeshua and the apostles can be summarized in the goal of the enlightenment of the soul. It begins with the awareness that we are more than just our physical bodies, and there is more to this world than we can see and hear. And it culminates with a complete transformation of the self in relationship with God. That's the Hasidic concept of salvation. And it rings true. Is there only one path of salvation? According to the teaching of Peter, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven which has been given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. Just as there was only one path through the Red Sea, with a wall of water on the left and a wall of water on the right, you might insist that there is only one path of salvation. And it happens to be the one that we believe. Lucky for us. But here's what I once understood Peter to mean when he said, There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name by which we must be saved. I once understood that to mean that unless a person knew about Jesus and believed in Jesus and accepted Jesus, he could not be saved. She could not be saved. That's not such great news. In fact, that's terrible news. Why do they call the good news good news if the message of the good news is that most people that ever lived are damned to eternity in hell? And that's bad news for the person whose loved ones are not believers, not disciples. And it's bad news for the person who raises children who, in the exercise of their free will, decide against becoming a Jesus follower. It's bad news for most human beings. I no longer believe that's the meaning of Peter's words, because if that was the case, what he should have said was, There is no other name which is going to result in so much damnation. The name by which the vast majority of the human species is to be damned. That's not salvation. And God is the God of salvation. He is the God of dramatic last-minute reversals of expectation and thrilling rescues. 
Our master is the way, the truth, and the life. His name means salvation. I used the metaphor of one single path through the Red Sea. But did you know that when King David describes the crossing of the Red Sea in 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18, he says, Then the channels of the sea appeared. The foundations of the world were laid bare by the rebuke of the Lord at the blast of his nostrils. He uses the plural, the channels of the sea. The Midrash explains that when God divided the waters, he made 12 separate paths through the sea, and each tribe took a separate path as they passed through the sea. Is it possible that there is more than one path to salvation? The Hasidic view of salvation teaches that every soul has a unique path to walk, a unique mission to carry out here on earth. It's not just that there's more than one path to God. There are as many paths as there are human beings. Conservative Christians consider it to be the worst kind of liberal ecumenical blathering to say, there are many paths to God. But I'm absolutely convinced it's true and that all of the paths of salvation pass through Yeshua of Nazareth, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Better yet, I believe he is the path. He says, small is the gate, and narrow is the path that leads to life, and only a few find it. Broad is the gate, and wide is the path that leads to destruction, and many are on it. Most people are on the path to destruction. And we all have free will to choose the wrong path. But God is a rescuer. The salvation of Hashem is broader and wider. His arm has not been shortened. Whether in this world or the next, in this lifetime or the afterlife, I have no idea how God rescues or who he redeems. But I trust him. Our job is to stay on the path that God has revealed to us, and that is the straight and narrow path of repentance, faith, and allegiance to the living Messiah, in whose name we find salvation. For those who labor under the painful weight of believing that everyone is going to hell, except for you and people who believe just like you do, I'm offering you salvation from that horrible idea. Let it go. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Have a little humility and trust God, that he knows what he's doing and he knows how to save souls, just as he knows how to save yours. He didn't create human beings just to flush us down the existential toilet. It's true that there is a narrow path, and it's not the broad way that most of the world follows. But I believe it's much broader than most dogmatists suppose. Our master is the guide. Peter calls him the shepherd of souls. He shepherds the sheep in the paths of life. And lest we mistakenly suppose that we are his only sheep, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. Life is full of adventure. There are all sorts of evils. There are pharaohs, slave drivers, all manner of evil and oppression. But there is also salvation, thrilling escapes, reversal of expectation. The goal of Yeshua's teaching 
and the teaching of the apostles was not to persuade us to accept a new religion, endorse a dogma, or partake in a sacrament. The goal of Yeshua's teaching is that we should repent, turn from evil, choose the good, and awaken to Hashem, reconnecting with the source of our soul through faith. Faith in God, faith in Messiah, as it says in our Torah portion, When they saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, they believed in God, and they believed in Moses, his servant. In the coming kingdom, all paths of salvation and all types of salvation seem to converge. In the kingdom, Israel experiences a national salvation from the threat of obliteration. Salvation comes as the Messiah's defeat of her enemies and the subjection of the nations under King Messiah. In the kingdom, human beings finally obtain freedom from the lower impulse of the evil inclination when God creates within us a new heart and implants a new spirit, writing his Torah upon our hearts. In the kingdom, the big baddie, Satan, is bound in chains and no longer free to torment. In the kingdom, Human beings receive the spiritual salvation for which we are here to seek by reconnecting with God, obtaining spiritual enlightenment on an unprecedented scale so that everyone knows the Lord. The knowledge of God is universal and the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh, on all human beings. All flesh will see God on a revealed level within this world, in everything within this created world and in the person of Yeshua of Nazareth, the Son of Man, who descended to our level to elevate us to His. In the kingdom, the human race will find salvation from the maladies that vex our existence, such as war, oppression, injustice, inequity, pestilence, plague, sickness, disease, drought, famine, and poverty. These things are finally solved. In the kingdom, the last enemy is defeated. Human beings finally receive salvation from death in the form of the resurrection of the dead. First, the resurrection of the righteous, and then ultimately the resurrection of all human beings to stand before the throne of God in the judgment at the end of days. All these various salvations converge into one in the Messianic era. There are many paths running through the Red Sea, but they all end in the same conclusion, this bright future of salvation that we call the kingdom of God, the portal to the world to come. If you are distraught about the way things are going here on earth, and you are wondering, why does it seem like things just keep getting worse? Take a moment and remember that you haven't seen the end of the movie yet. It would be a pretty dull movie if nothing bad ever happened, if there weren't good guys and bad guys, and if there weren't daring escapes and unexpected reversals. Imagine if the story read, Once upon a time there was a princess who lived in a hidden kingdom, and she lived happily ever after. The end. That's not a bestseller. So if it seems like life is full of darkness and sorrow and distress, get some popcorn and enjoy the rest of the show. Or to put it in the words of Moses, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, 
which He will accomplish for you today, as long as it is called today. Find rest for your soul.